let's start with, you know, you introduced yourself. I mean, you told me a little bit, but your story's a little snippet. Obviously, it could be very inspiring for so many people, just coming out of hardships and all the things that you went through and just rising above it. And you could talk about your book as well. But I think, yeah, everybody wants to hear about this. So I think you could just jump in. Well, I guess I'll start with my name. My name is Marissa Hardy. I'm 26 years old, but this story and this journey started over a decade ago. And that's where I find like the true beauty in it. And what's really like giving me the grace to get over any shame, guilt, or embarrassment of sharing my true story and my struggles. So because of that, I've been able to see like, wow, you know, even now a story could be writing itself that I'm completely unaware of. And so basically, yeah, I, I'll have my book out September 15th, but Prior to all of that, I was not living this life at all. I did not look like this at all. I There's photos I look back on myself and I'm like, have blonde hair. You know, I'm a little bit, you could tell I was drinking a lot and, you know, even using drugs at times. And that was really damaging, not just for my physical health, but my spirit, my spiritual health and my mental health. I didn't understand what I was doing to myself and getting caught up in certain lifestyles and energies and coming out of that by the grace of God and through rehab and supportive family and friends, I have came to a position now where, you know, I proudly say like, yes, I am still fucking alive. Like I'm here, you know, and that's something I'm really proud of and something I hold close to in my heart. Yeah. Yeah. So do you want to jump into some of the story? Because, you know, obviously people jumping in right now don't really know what you've gone through. And yeah. just I'm assuming the contents of the book and you're talking about that, but maybe touch on that now. So, OK, so I use drugs and alcohol to self-medicate. I, I wasn't aware I was self-medicating, but this is what I came to find out for eight years daily. And it was just a part of my routine, like brushing my teeth in the morning, you know, and I didn't even realize I was addicted. I just felt like this was normal and I was young, so it was acceptable. And I was still taking care of everything else in my life, you know, working and showing up for family and showing up for friends. So I felt like I didn't have a problem. And what led me to begin using and self-medicating through drugs and alcohol was a period of time in my life where I was sexually assaulted and I didn't take care of that properly. I didn't heal properly. I didn't even allow myself to mourn that piece of myself or even heal that piece of myself. Instead, I just went in straight into drinking and using. And that was really like the root of it. And that was really difficult. And what happened through that as well as like more sexual abuse and trauma came from that lifestyle of me drinking and using. And every single time it was worse. And every single time I started using more and more frequently and more amounts. And it got to a point where that was just who I was. You know, my last name's Hardy. So people wow. call me Party Hardy. Like that's just who I was. And I was like, you know what? I wore wow. like a badge of honor. Like this is just who I am right now. And, you know, I was spiritually in tune by the time I was 20. You know, I had done plant medicines with tribes. I've sat in on ceremonies. Like my third eye was opened, which is great. But, and you receive these downloads and, you know, your heart gets opened and all of that. But none of it meant anything to me because when I left that sacred space, I did not in integrate. I did not practice what I had learned. I just went right back to using and drinking. And a lot of my ego was inflated at that time because that's what drugs and alcohol do to you. They make you think that you're, you're, you're God himself or herself. And, you know, I was like, okay, I'm spiritually in tune. I have all these parts of myself. I'm the best thing on the planet. And I thought I was invincible. I really did. And looking from the outside in, you know, seeing it, my Instagram and things like that, it was so curated to the point, like, I, I believed the lies that I told myself and wow. I wasn't lying in the truth. The only thing true about me at that point was that I was an addict and alcoholic, <laughs> you know, and I was self-medicating and I had suicidal tendencies that I was completely unaware of. But after going through rehab, I realized, you know, 
having a favorite way of passing out or looking forward to passing out or, you know, putting myself in extremely dangerous situations was a walk in the park for me. But looking back, you know, when I think about those versions of myself where I was doing dangerous things and using and, you know, have overdosed, I, it doesn't make me feel guilty anymore because I'm taking care of myself. But there was a period of time where I cried about and I actually got scared. I was like, I can't believe I did that. You know, I was thinking of my younger self and, you know, and so it got to a point where I was living in Hollywood and I had began seeing a new dealer basically. And the type of dealer it was, is she, it was a female dealer. I've never experienced that before either. And she was literally hmm. cutting drugs right in front of me, like right off of the brick, you know, cocaine comes in bricks. She was cutting, it was the purest form, but it, and that doesn't make it any better, but it was so much more intense because everything else prior to that was, you know, maybe laced with laxatives or whatever, you know, and, and I'm sharing this so openly because I want people to be educated yeah. and I feel like cocaine use and drug use is so normalized and it's like, you can be okay. And you can't, like, I'm still healing parts of myself, you know, it still taps into certain parts of your brain where it might make you might make it harder for you to have compassion in your heart or love because the cocaine literally makes you feel, you know, similar feelings as love and compassion and things, but it's a false sense. So when it's the real sense, you know, these are just things I'm still working on, but so I'm sharing this openly so people can be educated on it. I think it's important. So she cut it right. She would cut it right off the brick and I got heavily addicted to hers. And I was kind of like her cash cow and we became, you know, friends. I use that term, term loosely because we weren't, but that's what I considered her at the time. This was January of 2021. And I was using so frequently that I had switched from ingesting the drug through my nose into my gums and wow. that ate away at my gums and my teeth. And I ended up losing a tooth. It's so embarrassing, but oh the reality, it's not an ugly, or it's not a beautiful lifestyle. It's a really ugly lifestyle when you get down to it. And I had slipped into a drug induced psychosis, February, the end of February in 2021. And basically that is, you know, I wasn't in touch with reality. And, you know, you could say like, oh, this person's living in la la land or whatever. She's a little delusional. You know, those terms are thrown around really loosely, but my brain was not in touch with reality. My senses weren't in touch with reality. And I was operating in life not living in reality. And, you know, that's, it was hard for me to even recognize that because I was living in Hollywood and living such a fast lifestyle and doing these things that were so to me grand and unusual because I'm from a small town. So I didn't realize that. I just thought that's what life was. It was really hard for me to recognize. Right. And that went on for about two and a half months. I was in a drug induced psychosis and the brain is extremely fragile. It can take a lot but when it gets to this like breaking point, almost it's very, very, very fragile. So I still had been using drugs and I went to Miami and just kind of had like a, a mental break, not a breakdown, like my whatever just snapped and my, my, my emotions, my feelings, my hormones, my brain activity, it just, it just snapped and I snapped and I got to a point where I didn't recognize who I was looking at the, in the mirror. I'll never forget. I looked at myself and I didn't recognize who was looking back at me. All I wow. saw, and it brought me all the way back to 10 years ago, to the first instance of sexual trauma. And I saw these versions of myself that were so ugly and I wanted to die. I wanted to kill the person looking back in the mirror at me truly physically, not just metaphorically like, Oh, I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to get sober. I wanted the person looking back at me to be gone. And so I attempted to overdose and I was on, I had like a little bit of fentanyl. I, I want to save some parts for the book, but basically fentanyl, yeah. heroin, cocaine, pills, and alcohol were in my body. And I there's so much more to this, but I want to save it for the book because yeah, yeah, um, for sure. my heart did stop and I experienced what they call an NDE. It's a near-death experience. It's kind of like a phenomenon where you have an experience on the other side and then you come back into your body and that's in the book. And that was such a beautiful experience. It completely changed my life. And I'm so grateful wow. for that experience. But yeah, I 
attempted suicide. And when I came back, I had, I, to this moment, like, I don't know how it happened and why I got so lucky, but yeah, I, I was woke up in the hospital and from that moment forward, I didn't even, I, at that moment, I didn't even realize that I had a problem. I just thought I made a mistake. I didn't realize I was a drug addict. I didn't think, I thought this was normal behavior. I thought, oh, everyone goes through something like this. And, you know, people do deal with things like, you know, depression and anxiety or not feeling like themselves, but this was really um, a mental, spiritual, physical break that had been building up over the last 10 years. Like I said, when I looked at myself in the mirror, I just saw the worst parts of myself. And it started at the very first instance of sexual trauma. When I recovered from the hospital, I still didn't even think that I had a problem. And someone, by the grace of God, they gave them the word to just tell me, like, you should just go to rehab. And they made it sound so light and refreshing. Like, you could just relax there. You know, you just take a a light. You don't have to go to work. You don't have to do laundry. Like, you could just go chill. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go do that. I don't know what else to do right now. And rehab really changed my life in ways. I met my two best girlfriends there. And, you know, rehab was great. It was just leaving it was... I had to now apply things to my life and really do the inner work and the shadow work. Once I stepped out of rehab, you know, there was no one holding my hand. And so that was, I left rehab May of 2021. And over the past two and a half years, it's every day has just been really valuable to me. And I do not take it for granted. You know, I wake up every morning with a smile on my face and I'm just determined to make it a good day and do my best. But it was, you know, I'm still in this, I call it like a newborn stage. Like I'm still figuring out my emotions because for eight and a half years, you know, especially from the ages of 16 up until 23, I was masking any type of emotion or any type of communication with drugs and alcohol. And so I say like, I'm two years into like learning how to use my voice. And I tell you, writing a book opened up all of this for me and has given me my voice back. And, and, you know, I have a lot to say. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. That's grateful. That's where I'm at. I'm going to take a sip of water. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, before you were like talking about that experience, the near death experience, I was like wondering what the breaking point was, but it's so interesting that even within that, because you would think, you know, I have one of my, best friends is like struggling with alcohol and I'm like, you know, trying every which way and it's gotten like slightly better, but it's not better. Uh And, you know, people are like, okay, well, you know, they're going to need to reach like a breaking point. And I don't want to say just in case somebody's watching who can connect the dots, but like they definitely, or the lowest part, they're going to need to hit rock bottom. And then that could be, you know, and I'm like, well, they definitely hit rock bottom and not going to talk about it since it's a private thing. And like that didn't help. And then we tried another thing and it's, so I was curious about you, like in terms of, cause sometimes you can hit rock bottom or have this epiphany or have this realization and you could shift. And that feels good also because you're like, okay, I'm shifting and I'm feeling good about this lifestyle, but how do you, I mean, you could speak, you know, from just how you're navigating it and not relapsing and how you're continuously being in this space. Because I think with him, I was like, you need to go back to meetings because that's like a nice check in and you know realizing other people are struggling through this and then you're able to kind of check in with yourself and then I was suggesting he also writes a journal because there was something that happened when he was staying here for Shabbat like I'll have guests and stuff and I was like just start with that you know like talk about that weekend and then start documenting every day and then hopefully that could also be motivation to continue and even if you're falling then you start fresh again and just keep trying to you know build that story towards positivity. And so I'm curious, like what, what are some of the tools or the ways that you're able to stay in this space, you know? And I will say that, well, for one, I have relapsed and that was really challenging for me in that moment, because in rehab, they teach you about like how the drug makes you feel and all these things. So it was like half of my body was like fiending and like keep going, keep going, keep going, you know? And then the other half of me was like all this guilt. Like, I know what's going on right now. This is not good. Like it was the worst experience of my life. (laughs) I have relapsed. I haven't relapsed since, which is great. But, and I, I, after talking with my rehabilitation counselors, they go, you know, maybe you kind of needed that because I am a very curious person. 
I have to find out things for myself. And now I really know, like, I could never do that again. I could never do drugs again. <laughs> you know, even though I went through this whole crazy experience being, you know, it, could, it can't even just be, oh, I'm just here at a party just one night. It can't be anything. Yeah. Um, so there's that. But I will say, you know, what looks like rock bottom to like me and you, because our rock bottom might be like, you know, dang, she left me or I can't pay my bills this month or whatever. Rock bottom to someone who's in an active addiction might actually look like, oh, they have time they have to spend in jail or they have to stay in the hospital or they got caught drunk driving or like their rock bottom might be way worse than what we could picture. And for me, my rock bottom happened to be when I attempted suicide. It had to get that bad for me to just kind of bring myself to a quiet place, which is rock bottom and rock bottom. You know, people are like, Oh, it's such a bad place. It, there bad stuff has happened to get you there, but it's actually the safest place to be because it's quiet. There's no distractions and you can really focus on yourself. And the only thing that you can do is go up, you yeah. know, and so some tools that I've implemented in my life that I've been able to uphold. And it's like super simple. I keep it very, very simple because at the end of the day, if I'm feeling like crap or, you know, I get depressed or whatever, I could still do these things and feel proud of myself. And that is making my bed, washing my face, brushing my teeth. I have a morning routine and making my cup of coffee. And then I'll sit with my cup of coffee and just kind of like, just be still and just kind of like, this is what I learned in rehab. These are something that I learned in rehab. I, I just sit with my coffee, either iced or hot, whatever I feel like that day. I'm like, okay, I made it to another day. What can I do next? And it's just one foot in front of the other all day long. And so that's how I start my days. And it doesn't matter what I have on my plate, you know, and it's built up over time to where like now I know what workouts I'm doing at what time and what exercises are, you know, what I'm going to make for dinner this day of the week, because that's what I like. Just, you know, it, it has built up over itself. But if there's nothing else I do in the day, it's that I can sit down and have my cup of coffee and say, okay, I made it to another day. And I remind myself of that repeated, repeatedly, because as someone who struggled with drugs and alcohol, you know, at any time of the day, let's say one of my old party friends hit me up on a particular day where I'm not doing well and I'm weak, weak that day. And if I were to say yes, it's I'm off the wagon again, you know, but if I start the day, like, okay, my bed's made, I can go look at that and see a nice put together room. I'm put together. My bed's put together. My teeth are brushed. I made coffee. I'm right here. And that's how I start every single day. And it's just that simple. You know, I do walking meditations now. So like basically when I'm doing the dishes, you know, like I talk myself through doing the dishes and really thinking about the act of it. Like, I'm so grateful. I have running water. I'm so grateful. I was able to eat a good meal last night. Like I really put energy into that. And over time, over the last two years, two and a half years, that's developed into how my mindset has become with everything, you know, in this moment and at every second of every moment. And I try to uphold that energy, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. I mean, just being grateful and voicing that, you know, is so powerful because that's like reframing the subconscious and like telling yourself that, you know, shifting into a mode of gratitude, shifting into a mode of positivity. And then that begets or brings in another, another thing, you know, through that. Do you have like a spiritual practice or just how you connect spiritually, how you connect to the creator? So I actually just recently got baptized during my addiction. I kind of like pushed away like God and I thought, oh, spirituality, I can get in touch with cards and just being in nature and taking shrooms in the woods. And, you know, these are all great ways to I mean, if you're exploring and you feel connected to that and call to that, great. But with an absence, in my experience, if you have an absence of God, who is who are you putting your energy into or what energy are you working with? And so for me, I made the decision to get baptized, to be born again Christian and really lean on to his word. I, I read the Bible when I was in rehab. And I just read it like it was just a book. I didn't read it without any religion connected to it. I literally was like, let me just see what that's what this is about. <laughs> you know, I have nothing else to do. And it is honestly one of the best love stories I've ever read. 
you know, that's how I put it. It's a great story. And if anyone's watching this, at least one time in your life, just read it just like it's a book and whatever comes out of it. Great. But just read, you know, literature, just read it like it's literature. That's it, you know? And so that's kind of how my new spiritual journey started. I used to take a lot of plant medicine, ayahuasca, iboga, LSD, mushrooms, DMT. And my brain at this point, after having a drug-induced psychosis, that's one more step to having like permanent psychosis and schizophrenia and things like that. So I refrain from doing those things now just because I know my brain is fragile and I don't really want to test that. You know, even drinking like a Celsius is like, that's a lot for me today. (laughs) But when it comes to spiritual, I just, honestly, I just really, I'll pray and then I'll meditate. And that brings me to like my spiritual, it brings this wholeness about me where it's like, wow, everything's connected. And I, I just feel it. Like it's something that's harbored inside of me at this point. And it's available at all points in life. And that's why I have the hummingbird on my book because the hummingbird quality is known like it can go find nectar at any point in the day and be fulfilled anytime it needs that nectar and I feel like in my journey I've always been able to find that nectar somewhere and you know I just feel it as an elixir inside of me now so yeah I guess just meditating connecting like that yeah cool yeah so I mean there's a you know I've studied like the Torah, the Bible, and like all the different like Kabbalists and Hasidic and all these different interpretations of it. Because in Judaism, they're like the Bible, when you're reading the Torah, there's like the four different levels. It's like Pshat, Remez, Jerush, Sod. So it's like one is just like the literal. One is mm-hmm. like all the hints that it's giving. The other one's like homiletic, homiletic. And then the other one is Sod, which is the Kabbalah, which you've probably heard of like the Tree of Life. And it's like the I- 10... I don't know in English, but that's all based on like the sod means secret. So it's all the secrets, all the like sort of things that are being hinted at in the writing of the Torah. Because I mean, in Judaism, you do you do read it, but it's not meant to be like read as like a literal bringing your own interpretation. It's all actually the the entire Torah, the entire Bible is just kind of an analogy or a metaphor or like it's called the mashal. And that's like, oh, okay, these are things that are happening inside me. Like, this is a story that actually happened. And it's funny because Deepak Chopra, when I was explaining that, he like, I love his, his, this is what he said when I was trying to explain that. But he's like, they, you know, this is my book series, Light of the Infinite. And he's saying that, that it shines a light on the Torah, the Bible, not just being a spiritual book of historic tales, but of the stories that outline the archetypal states of consciousness within our own selves. So it's like when we're looking at Abraham, Abraham, our forefather, and Isaac, and Jacob, and the Rizal, who is this ancient rabbi who basically, there's this book called the Zohar, which is like the book of splendor, and it's the book of mystic secrets. It's People go nuts for this book, but it's like, it's all written in poetry and and secretive, and it's like really hard to crack. And the, and people say without this one rabbi, the Rizal, the Ari, without his writing on it, like you can't understand anything. It's like the code, you know? Wow. But so he was basically, yeah. So when you're looking at the tree of life, the spiro, the 10 spiro, and I can pull it over here. But so he's saying basically when we're looking at like our forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So this is all on a spiritual level, you know? So it's not to be understood in the regular way, but he's saying that Abraham. So let me see if I can find a little um, thing so we can look at it. But Abraham represents... Chesed, so like the seven, so there's like the 10 in the, I might actually, let me grab the thing so there's a visual because it'll be, I think, a lot more helpful. So this is the 10 spirot, and people call it the tree of life as well. And when I was doing this talk with Deepak, it was crazy because he was talking about the four worlds, and like all, all these different concepts and in different languages that all sound the same. So it's like from Abraham and going down, like all these things kind of, just went out there and it's like exists all these crazy deep concepts. But so this is, there's Chokhmah, Bina, and Dot. Keter is like the crown. So this is wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. And those are like up here, like in the mind. And they're like, Chokhmah is Koach, which is strength. Ma, which is God, another name for God. And then basically there's the seven emotional attributes. 
So we're always trying to come into this sort of equilibrium and this harmony. And that's yeah. when we feel like aligned with the universe and the creator. And when there's a disconnect or a distortion of an emotion, then you feel out of alignment. So what Darizal was saying with the forefather Abraham, this is on a super spiritual level, but even so he parallels chesed, which is loving kindness, but with loving kindness, like you can love the right things and it could be amazing and you can connect and feel completely aligned and you can literally, you know, mimic or partner with God in creation and bring a, a life into this universe, you know, and that's all through love. And it's like amazing. But you could also use it in a lustful way and start to use it in a way to connect to people in a very unhealthy way and create chaos and disharmony in this, in this world, you know? And so while I'm saying that now Rizzo's talking about Abraham in a way that it's, it's not to be understood in a regular way because Abraham was like righteous, but he's saying that there was a spiritual imbalance in his loving kindness. So therefore when he had his sons, he had Isaac and Ishmael. I don't know how the names in English, I don't know as well, but so Isaac's representing, so there's this concept and there's a Cherokee tale of this also that there's like the two wolves or whatever that are, one of them is like this, like, you know, basically full of like good and trying to do good or whatever. And then the other one is like this evil trying to do bad. And this elder is like telling his grandson about this thing. And they're like, exist within us at all times and whatever. Oh, I know that. You remember that? Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. 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 So then he asked, like, he wants to know, like, well, which one's going to win, you know? And he said, it's the one that you feed, you know, and it's this concept. So in Hebrew, it's called Yetzer Hara and Yetzer Tov, which Yetzer Tov is like your, the good inclination. And it's connected to the Nefesh Eloki, which is the godly soul. And mm -hmm. we basically all have this godly soul. It's literally a piece of God that's within us. And that's represented by Isaac and Jacob going down. And then Ishmael and Esau, or Esau in English, they're more representative of, they have the godly soul and there's that potential but that's like very hidden within it. And it's more, they're connected more to the Yitzhara, which is the, like the evil inclination and their lustful desires and all the things that are within this world that are pulling toward us or pulling from us to get connected to these like easy outs that feel like the fixes, but they're like completely tied to the finite physicality and all the things that will bring our eventual death and are moving away from the light and our connection. So Basically, so he's saying that there's this imbalance so that Isaac and Ishmael came out of Abraham and not just Isaac, you know? And then with Isaac, there's an imbalance on the other side. So that that's chesed, loving kindness. So the other one is deemed judgment. And it's gvura, which is judgment, which can be used good. Like there's no no justice, no peace. Like you, you yeah. could be using justice and judgment for good. But if it gets distorted then it's not good. And if you're judging people unfavorably and creating bad situations all the time because you're seeing the bad and then creating it and manifesting more bad, then that's also not good. So he was saying because he was, he also had that, and we're talking spiritually because he's also righteous. So then he had Jacob and he had Asa. And Yaakov, Jacob, he correlates to Tiferet, which is harmony, which is basically a balance. And the idea with these spirit is that there's either side and either side can be used. There's these polarities and it can be used for good or for bad. And you can find the balance, but the idea is to come into that middle section and to find the balance with all these things. And with Jacob, he represents that balance. He's the Tiferet. And that's why out of Jacob came the 12 tribes and wow. there was no more imbalance. And that's where it all comes from. I have to tell you, this is my first time learning about Judaism. <laughs> any, any part of it, anything oh, at all. Wow conversation at all and I am just like it's that's so beautiful and you know I feel really resonated with that wow I'm just like taken back right now <laughs> well I'm gonna give I'm gonna drop a couple other little things that I think you'll think are interesting so I don't know if you know like so God's name in the Torah so there's two things so the most famous prayer in Judaism and in the Bible in the Torah is Shema Yisrael Hero Israel, Hashem Elokeinu, the, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Elokeinu. So the idea with that is that Hashem, which is this name, which we don't actually pronounce each letter in Hebrew, 
because yeah. it's just super powerful. So it's, it's the tetragrammaton. If you've ever heard that, that's what this is. And in, in Judaism, we say Hashem, which is just the name. And it's alluding to this all merciful name that is above nature. The other name, Hashem Elokeinu, Elokeinu is God within nature. And it actually is in Judaism, there's this concept, um, Gematria, which is the numerical equivalent and parallels between words and their connections. You can see the spiritual connections between the values of each of these things. So Elokeinu is the same is the same number as Hateva. Hateva is nature. So basically what we're saying within this prayer is that because you're thinking you're saying, wait, God, you're saying him twice, but it's the same thing. It's the same God, but why are you naming twice with two different names? So really it's amazing what it actually means. It's saying that this name of God, which is all merciful, which is above nature. So it's only good. It's the redemptive state. When we're talking about the Messiah coming and redemption, it's talking about that we all, as you can, first of all, reach that by yourself because each person is a tiny city and a world and universe unto itself. And then as a community, if we could all come to this redemptive state and away from constriction, which is the fear, anxiety, all the things of disconnect, then that's the Messiah. It's just a shift in consciousness. It will probably be brought by a person bringing in that revelation who is only capable of love and who's reached that state. And then it brings us to everybody having a balance with their emotions and being in a state of love. And then we're all there. And then we're connected to this name, which is representative of a space that's all love and all good. And also it's like Kulo Tov, which is all good and Kulo Shabbat. Shabbat, when we, you know, Jews like turn off electricity and they don't connect to like, they're not on their phones. They're not, basically it's like the 39 things that we created the the Holy Temple, the Melachot, like the things that we did. We refrain from all of that. So we're not interfacing with creation. We're just meditating on being a, basically a creation in our in and of ourselves instead of trying to emulate by creating and creating this and like doing all this stuff to try to like take over or control nature. Yeah. So the idea of the Messiah or that Messianic era is Kulo Shabbat. It's like a place where we're just receiving. We're not trying to take over and trying to take things from people or, you know, monetize people or any of that kind of stuff. It's just, we're just connected to, to that space. But so when we're saying that prayer, it's Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. It's saying that the God, the permutation or the understanding of God who is above nature and is all merciful is the same as the one that we're seeing in nature. When something, when you're getting a divine decree, when God's bringing you to a close near-death experience in those spaces of darkness, in the lowest space of darkness is the greatest light that yeah. is in that space. And that's basically, you can rise so high because you went so low and you can help the world through that. So I want to share something with you. In my book, the very first, literally, it's just right on the very first page here. It says, he that descends is the same also that ascends up far above the husband heavens ephesians 4 9 and i felt connected to that because in my lowest point in life like god was right by my side you know he brought me he gave me a second chance at life he brought me to this wonderful rehab i i felt his presence more than i had ever felt in my life and i was at the lowest point in my life you know and it was just so i i i totally connect with that you know and believe in that as well you know yeah yeah, I mean, that's the thing that I connect with, with Judaism, with Hasidut and understanding it on this like deeper level is that, you know, with certain religions, it's like, to me, like this antiquated thought that only in the purest state can you connect to God. And it's, if you're looking at the Torah and you're looking at historically the Jews who had the holy temple on, you know, in Israel and they're doing the sacrifices and they're doing all the, the work connecting to God and God's in that revealed state. All of those, it's this process of taking the disconnection and taking the darkness and the sins that you have. And they're represented by this animal. They like, some people are seeing as cruel, but it's no, like everybody wants to just connect to the creator. So this is like a Michelle, this is like an analogy of this thing is being brought and you are elevating it to this higher place. And that's like, this physical action that's happening they basically you're saying this is representing the darkness but coming towards the light but like in that space of you realizing that 
you fell in whatever it is and you have this, you feel completely disconnected through that process. It's called which is the basically sifting the good from the bad, but like through that space, you're actually able to connect them like the highest level. So it's, it's like, it's not really, you connect through the darkness in a way, you know, cause like God knows we're going to keep falling. It's like at that moment, uh, in those moments, you can, you can reach the highest thing. And that's the whole idea of like, when you have like this, you know, your evil inclination or like the nefesh abamid, it's called, it's the animal soul and there's the godly soul. But the thing is the godly soul, because we're not angels, we need that animal soul and the strength that it has to be able to transform that and use that strength and transform it into something that is going to be shining light. Like meaning you went through all of this dark things that happened in your life, but those things catapulted you to where you're at now, where you're going to be able to help other people and get them out of that. That wouldn't have happened had you not gone through that. And I'm not saying like, oh, thank God you went through it, but everybody's going through different thank things. God I went through it. You know, I have three sisters and knowing the things that happened, I am like, I would be devastated. I know they're going to be devastated when they hear my story because I've never talked about it. This is, this is the first time anyone's going to be hearing about it. But just from how I've been able to transform and just the way God has laid out my life and the people that came into it to help me along the way, I am so grateful that it happened. I can look back on my story and I've, you know, I've literally meditated with like, I envisioned my younger self, you know, after these traumatic events and I'm like, okay, we're safe now. Like I got you, you know, and you know, it had to happen for a reason. And I, and to uphold that reason, I'm honoring these times in my life through this book and dedicating, you know, I don't know where this is going to go, but helping others, you know, not just become, you know, my goal isn't to make everyone come to be a Christian or spiritual. My goal is simply to get women, you know, young men and children who are experiencing sexual abuse or addiction, just to come back on this side of sobriety and healing and that's it. And whatever they find along the way is meant for them. You know, all I know, because, you know, I'm, I'm freshly born again too, you know, I'm, I'm just now really studying the Bible, yeah. these things. And I don't feel necessarily equipped to like speak on this yet. You know, I can only do what I can through example, I guess. And yeah. that's, I'm going to strive to do is just continue to be an example, not only to myself, but to people who, you know, cause I lived a hell of, I lived a heck of a life. <laughs> you know? And it's in Hollywood, yeah. there's no judgment from me at all. And I think because I was able to live that life and I have been through, I put myself through things and I've been through things. I'm going to be able to connect with people because they're not going to feel like, Oh, you're just some lady who's never had to go through it or figure it out. Yeah. You know? no, I I'm standing tall. You know, I have my health. I'm shining from the inside out and you can do the same too, you know, just shine light onto your darkness and that darkness becomes light, you know? And that's, that's what I say, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there's the, this verse, so it's the entire world was created just for me. But when you understand exactly what that means, like, first of all, we're all universes. So if your book like reaches one person, it, it can reach a ton of people, but if it reaches one person and it literally changed their life or saved them, then like that's already the whole world. You know what I mean? Yes. And also like when you realize the world is created for you, it's like you realize that, oh no, like I have to, like I'm tasked to do all of these different things to fix the world because it's my world and I was put here and it's it's all for me. Like, so we're all responsible for it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I feel you in that in that place. And just to finish the the thought in terms of like when you were talking about the Bible and just realizing that it's all within us and these are always playing out. So the idea, and most people don't really know this, but like the story of like Egypt and Moses and the redemption and Jacob being renamed to Israel. And so like all of these things, it's it's wild. Like when you understand in Hebrew what these words mean. So Yaakov is Hebrew for Jacob. Yaakov is Ekev. It's it's the heel, and he's because he was holding on to the heel of of Esau when he was when he was born. He was holding on to the heel. 
And there's this concept that that Aesop represents Edom, which is Rome, which is the people that actually destroyed the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. So if you go to Jerusalem now, you just see the ruins of the temple that once stood, in, you know, in, I don't know, 100 BC or whatever. But so it was, first it was the Greeks and then the Romans. But so there's this idea that there's Aesop that represents Edom, the Roman, and just, you know, just this idea of full physicality, full lust, all these different things. And then there's Yaakov or Israel, this, the redemptive state that's holding on to the heel. And he's trying to get to the, to the head, to the Rosh. And they'll, neither, they'll never be at the top at the same time. It's always mm-hmm. going to be the struggle of physicality, lust, the evil inclination, the things that are pulling us toward these things that are actually disconnections for us and taking us out of alignment. And then on the Ekev, like holding on to the heel, is this desire to reach to the top, and which is seen by the godly soul and seen by the good inclination. And when you're trying to reach that and then you get there, that he gets named Israel, which is basically Israel, which is the redemptive state. And when you're looking at the word Egypt in Hebrew, it's Mitzrayim. And the root word is Metzar, which is which means constriction, which mm-hmm. means it's the state of all of the things that are putting you in this depressive state, which are fear, anxiety, and all of the things that you try to do to mask all this stuff and to like you know self medicate, like you said. And basically, so we're all trying to leave this enslavement, which is Egypt, is represented. You know, we're talking about biblical Egypt, not Egypt now. So that's the enslavement that we're always trying to leave and we're trying to free ourselves and come to this redemptive state, which is Israel. And when we think about Moshe and Moses, who's like the savior of, you know, who's the biggest figure in the Bible, he, where did he come from? He didn't, he wasn't just born Jewish and just came from some, you know, this place in, you know, he had this beautiful Jewish father or whatever. No, he was actually the king of enslavement, the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh. Mm-hmm. that was he was born that was his father basically he was wow. born you know he was he was brought out i mean he was functioning as the father of moses he was taken out of the reeds by pharaoh's daughter basia Batya. that's pharaoh's daughter she saved him and he grew up in this house with the pharaoh and basically the most constricted the most enslaved the king of the enslavement the king of the lusts the king of enslaving entire people using their children in the mortar of the bricks, making them do that. And all that, like the craziest thing, that's where Moses grew up and he had access to everything. He could have just kept going with that and lived at the top of the world. And he fought against all of that and became the redeemer of the enslaved people. And so he came out of the darkest place and brought the most light, the highest prophet to ever walk the earth is Moses. And he came from the darkest place. Wow. Yeah. You know, uh, my experience with going to AA meetings or going to outreaches or women's homes, and even my job where I work with schizophrenic adults, talking to these people about their experiences is some of the most heart-wrenching, unbelievable things. Like, you know, I thought this only happened in movies or I've never met anyone who this has happened to you know, and it's like, we have these conversations for the first time after months of knowing them and those months of knowing them, they were, they're the kindest souls. There's like, I love being around these types of people, you know, because they just have this softness about them where it's either they just want to give love or receive love and that's it. But they have these things that have inhibited them. And so, you know, when I feel like, I I really pray that, you know, people read my book and they see that in themselves, that they have so much love to give and there's so much love to receive out there, you know, and they're probably one of, to me, and just in my experience, I mean, this is only my scope. I haven't been in, you know, anywhere else really, except for this bubble of um, recovery is that recovery and addiction is, you know, these people these people, people like me have some of the brightest lights and biggest hearts, you know, they say like, the more your heart breaks, the bigger it gets, you know, you just like imagine a heart breaking and like, they just, to me, their hearts are this big. They've been through so much heartbreak. 
breaking it themselves or others and they just have that much love to give you know and so that's how I feel about this community that hopefully this book reaches honestly I'm really praying for it <laughs> you know yeah um, it's amazing so yeah, it's incredible it's like when you're going through this journey to heal yourself and then writing and so it's just propelling your own healing process and then that's always going to be helpful to others just this mirroring sort of thing you know it's like a thing like in the military they talk about it but it's like a thing for humans too it's like no man left behind like once you save yourself you go back and you save others like no man left behind and that's yeah, how yeah. It's fuck you know no man or woman left behind like we're all coming you know i'll, I'll yell at you nice. and about yourself and you can tell me about myself and we can share our greatest shames and guilt and heal together and really love one another, you know, because that's what we're meant to do is love one another, take care of one another. You know, Ram Das, I didn't understand this when I first heard it, but he goes, you know, we're all just walking each other home. And I didn't understand that until I got into recovery rooms and was talking to other people who experienced suicidal tendencies. And, you know, just that day, they just needed someone to just kind of hold their hand. You know, they can be strong other days, but it's like, wow, you know, we're all just really walking each other home until the very end. And it's actually funny. I went to a funeral this morning and it was his 90th birthday today. And he had his funeral. Wow. Went my best friend's grandfather. And I'm sitting, you know, in the back and just looking at their whole thing. It was a beautiful service. It was beautiful service. And, you know, his grandkids are crying and um, I'm looking at my best friend and great grandkids and his sons. He had four sons and one daughter. And it's just like rows of children and family and cousins. And this is like the patriarch. And I'm like, you did this. So, you know, he was the first one to come over from Mexico. Wow. And You're leaving all of this love and light. And it's like all, all of us are walking you home. You know, I've never been to a funeral where they walk in with the casket and the whole family, you know, walks up to the very to the front of the altar, you know, with the casket and then they walk out and then they walk out to go do the burial. It was so beautiful. They had the mariachi at the end and it was, it was amazing. You know, I cried. I, I've only met him, you know, two or three times, but it just reminded me like, okay, like at the end of the day, like we're all just walking each other home. We're all, we should all be embracing each other, you know, no matter what you look like or what you're going through or what car you drive or whatever. It's like at the end of the, at the end of our life, this is it right here, you know, and we're, yeah not only spiritually or mentally or emotionally, but physically, we will be walking each other home, you know, and that's just kind of how these connections I've felt in rooms feels like where it's like, it has that same level of compassion and camaraderie, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, physicality is what separates us, of course, because we're all in these separate bodies or whatever, but when you tap into the spirit or the soul spirituality connects us because we're basically all this piece of like the godly soul so mm -hmm. i have this one line and it's like it just reminded me of it it's like we're all broken pieces of a soul trying to come together to make it whole so it's like we're all we all feel like disconnected at times but when we're in these sacred spaces like you're talking about or if you're in a space where everybody loves each other or you've created a community you feel that it's like it's like a totally spiritual elevated experience you're surrounded with people you love. Yeah, like, you're like, it, it, it's, it's the like, best. Yeah. And you create like, that. Yeah. And it's so beautiful. And I can see how, especially after COVID, a lot of confusion and depression and addictions and divorces just like shot up because we were so separated. And it was like in this moment of like, oh my gosh, we're isolated. And there was so much fear and like love was absent you know, during that time, I mean, I mean, a huge part of love was absent, you know, and it was really hard to remember, like, those feelings and that togetherness, you know, I remember I wanted to go to church, and like, I had to make a reservation to go to church, and I was like, this just doesn't feel right, because they wanted, you know, they had to have people separated during COVID, but I was just like, dang, this doesn't have that, like, you know, but I feel like that energy in a sense is kind of coming back to people little bit by little bit where they just want to be in these spaces together spiritually and emotionally and kind of come back to that state where it's like, okay, like 
we can have these conversations and this togetherness, you know, outside of celebrating or going to bars, you know, so, yeah. So we're talking about community and we're talking about all being one. And so this book series, this is the fifth one. It parallels actually. So Jews are reading the Bible, like the Torah, the Old Testament is what other people call it. For us, it's just the full Bible. And every week we're reading, it gets split into different portions. So this one's called Kititze, which is like when you're going out to war. And when you're thinking about Psalms, King David, who wrote all those, it's like, sounds like, you know, he's talking about war and fighting the enemy and all these different things. But it's also to understand that like the enemy is this, is the evil inclination, the things that are like trying to take you out of alignment. That's the enemy. And you're constantly fighting this enemy at all times. So when you read it, from that perspective, you're like, oh my God, that's so crazy. Like, Shiviti Hashem Tamid, which is like, I place God before me at all times. And at my right hand, I will not falter. And then, which is the Neged, but Neged also means something that's coming against me. So it's, you're saying, God's at my right hand, God's in front of me. But when things are coming against me, when there's d- divine decrees and I'm putting through, I'm being put through this hardship or whatever it is. But if I'm connected and I'm full faith and trust in the creator and in the universe, then all of those things that are, I'm able to be the witness, but not the subject of it. I'm able to like realize that, okay, this is something that I need to go through. I'm not going to know till later, maybe when I zoom out or whatever, but like I have full faith that this is something that I need to go through. And that's saying that I will not falter because like in that realization, you're still going to be in alignment because you have full faith that this is part of your story and this is part of your journey. But when we're talking about community and all being one, so the end of this chapter, which this one's called Don't Hate, Foster the People, and it's talking about fostering community and how we create love. And we see it with community as we were talking about. It's like, you know, when I got divorced I, on Shabbat, like on the Sabbath, you're traditionally you're doing a Friday night meal, a lunch meal, and then there's like the third meal also. And, you know, people, a lot of people just get, you can fall into a depressive state. You're like, I'm not getting invited anywhere. I feel like I don't want to be home by myself eating on this when I know how amazing and elevated it could be. And with that, like, I realized I'm like, no, I need to just create it myself. I'm going to start meals. I'm going to cook. I'm going to host. And then you create that. Then you get invited out. But regardless of what it is, like, you're creating that yourself and you're sharing this love and light with people and you're just creating this space. And then also like, you know, once you do that, you can take, you want to take a week off anyway and just read and buy candlelight or whatever, meditate. And, you know, so you're shifting, basically, I was like kind of shifting from looking at it in this negative space that like, oh, woe is me or whatever, to creating this community, creating love, creating the opportunities, creating the space for it. And then, you know, and then in the times where maybe that's not happening or I'm not getting invited, it's like, you just also shift that as an opportunity to actually just spend time with yourself, you know? Um, but I don't know if you read, thanks. Have you read this book, um, Letting Go, Dr. David Hawkins? I know it's no, helped a lot of people. So I, okay. read- so I quote him. He's amazing. It's, it's incredible. Just the power of like letting go of these things. And like, as Carl Jung says, like, let go so it can let go of you. And that's based on like, when you're resisting something, it's persisting. So it's like, you're giving strength to this thing and creating this cycle that's like not letting go. Like, you know what I mean? It keeps coming back. So it's like, you have to like let go of that so you can move to the next thing. But in relation to community and just us as people and being able to come together and realizing that, you know, I mean, when we think about that we're all made up of water and our brain and heart is like 73% water. It's like we have 73% in common with every other person in the world. Like when you think about in that perspective, like Torah, the Bible's it's it's the same as it's synonymous with water because water is like this life giving force, but it's also like that's what quenches our thirst for life and keeps us connected. So anyway, I'm just gonna read like the last part of this last chapter uh, of the chapter that correlates with where we're at this week, and then it would be amazing if you could read like I don't know a paragraph from your book or something if you're open to it. Okay, so as people, we need to shift focus from what may differentiate us from one another to what we have in common. In Letting Go, Dr. David Hawkins articulates a technique to relinquish chronic resentment. The mind would like us to think that there is such a thing as justifiable anger, which takes the form of moralistic indignation. 
If we look at moralistic indignation, we will see that it is propped up by vanity and pride. We like to think how right we are in a situation and how wrong the other person is. We get a passing cheap little satisfaction out of that. But our muscle-tested research proves that the cost to our overall emotion and physical economy is like so great. And when he's talking about his muscle-tested research, he basically created and he touches on it in Letting Go. And then um, I think it's like power versus force. He goes into it more and it's basically this sort of way that he's like testing where somebody's at emotionally, when he put like an arbitrary number, but somebody who's in a space where if you're totally hopeless and let's say homeless, or it feels like you're only bringing bad into your life over and over and over. So they're in a state where they're basically only attracting that. But if you're looking at, you know, on the other end of the spectrum is like Moses, like a prophet, and they're existing where they have like full balance in their emotions, so they're only able to emanate love and they can only exist in love. And they are actually only seeing love within every other person because where somebody else would see something as ugly or as bad and judge it unfavorably, this person's not able to see that because they're just seeing the potential and the good that each person has. And we all have it within ourselves. So they're only seeing that. So they're existing in a space where they're only able to see good so they can manifest that good in the other person. And the second part of what Dr. David Hawking is saying is amazing. So we were talking about the 73% of us have in common and it's water. This is just what I'm writing. And then it jumps into Dr. David Hawking. On top of that, people mirror each other's inner belief system. So if we aren't watering ourselves and those around us in interconnectedness and positivity, then individually and collectively, we can't grow. So Hawking says, we are all physically connected. The internal position we hold about one another it's forcing them to adopt a complementary defensive position. It's therefore not Pollyannish to forgive and forget, but a reasonable recognition of emotional realities. So it means when we're looking at somebody in that space and that negativity, then they have to defensively deal with that. And then they feel like they're in that space. And there's mm -hmm. this concept that's also in Psalms with King David says that when you're looking at the wicked person, the Rasha, and you judge them favorably, you can look at that space that you've put them in, that, they, that they're in, that you think they're actually in. And if you do that process of judging favorably and seeing maybe that initially that one thing, that one little piece that's bad, and then you start to look at it like that they're all bad, which they're not, and you put them into that space. If you flip it and you start to look at something that's good, some potential or the godly soul within that person, then it's this process that's below where you're doing this sifting it's like Ruby Nachman says, like, that's how melodies are created, sifting the good notes from the bad notes. And that's, that's connection. That's the disconnect and the dissonance is created when you're focused on the bad notes. So it's this process. And it says, when you look back at that space and then uh, like that, that person is no longer there. That wicked person is no longer in the space that you've created, that you've put them in. And that's how strong it is when you're seeing that the other person is feeling that. And then you're both putting them in that space for yourself, which puts you in a bad space, but they're also in that space. And it's like this process of seeing the good, it like changes everything for all of us because we're always mirroring each other. And that's how we become for ourselves. That's how we bring balance from the, the, the gvura that we were talking about in this 10 spirit in this, the tree of life from the judgment and bringing it into a balanced alignment of that judgment and bringing it towards loving kindness. And then that middle part is called Tifera, which is harmony. And that's how we're in this harmonious space. But anyway, so that's like a concept for this week that correlates with the chapter and the book's called Light of the Infinite. This is the fifth book and it's called Emanations of Illumination. But, I uh, love it. I, <laughs> so I would love to, if you could read, if you're open to it, reading some, you know, a paragraph or two from your book. Sure. Let me see. I almost just want to read the opening quote because there's just so much for, gosh, I want to read this so bad, but I just, I got to hold out <laughs> for now. Okay. Um, but I will read the opening quote, which is life's duality is going in the dark just enough where we become lost just enough where it's quiet just enough for us just to shine our own light and find ourselves walking back home and seeing we are just enough. That's a quote that I came up with that I felt resonated not only with my story in the book, but I feel others can resonate with too, you know, because 
life's duality, you know, we were talking about the polarities of life and, you know, you can either be one extreme or the other. And what I've learned throughout my journey is to be balanced, you know, and just to walk almost like a spiritual tightrope because, you know, you have to be relatable to others so you can help others walk back home or walk back into themselves or your children, whoever it is, you know, and also be able to reach on both sides, light and dark, you know, and bring it into a balance. And it's just, you know, there's not defeating what you were. Like, I will never beat like the cravings or whatever that comes across me, but I can understand them and love them and love them in the sense, like I, I'm going to nurture this and give it good, healthy light. You know, it's something that I, if I try and push it away, the more and more I try and push it away, the more, like you were saying, it comes yeah. back to you. And it's like, okay, how can I take care of this part of myself? Like it's an infant baby and just really nurture that part of myself. And, you know, I was lost for so long and it took me being in a quiet place just for me to, okay, instead of looking at all these Hollywood lights and drugs and alcohol to, to try and shine things for me let me see if I can shine things for myself, you know, and I was able to really see my own reflection at that point and seeing that, you know, I am just enough. I am enough without anything else. And so that's the opening quote of my book. Still nice. it's amazing. The true story of transforming from a victim and survivor into a fighter and a fighter. Amazing. in this You become a better fighter. You become a fighter to become a better lover, a better friend, and you fight for the things that are important to you in life. So yeah that's awesome wow yeah i can't wait to read the book <laughs> I'm excited for both of us this is amazing yeah you're so, getting ready to go on tour and everything yeah finalizing the last elements of these like eight events in israel i'm like so excited and also like reconnecting with people i was there four years ago but in that time i mean unfortunately i lost my mom which is i wrote these books in her memory so i'm coming back to like spread the light that came out of this, out of, you know, this loss and, you know, manifest as these book series. And basically most of them are revolving around the books. I'm doing a couple of music events as well. Like one at my favorite club in Tel Aviv called Levantine Sheva. It's called Hip Hop Sola. It's the Israeli-Palestinian reconciliation series. So it's kind of, I bring Israelis and Palestinians and we're like rapping and talking and trying to like bring light into a difficult situation. I've been doing that for over a decade. So I just booked that like two days ago. I'm excited about it. Thanks. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, people can check that out at erasafar.com. Do you have a website up for your work? I do not, not have a website yet. Okay. I'm like self-publishing, grassroots, whatever you yeah. want to call it. You know, I thought the hardest part was writing the book. I'm realizing the hardest part is going to be sharing the book and making sure that people get that are that are aware that this book is even alive, you know, and in this realm. So I'm still pulling those pieces together, but people can find me on Facebook and Instagram as Marissa Hardy or like my little my at is protect your peace shoddy. S H A W at the end. But yeah. So nice. okay. So I'm gonna I'll leave off on this one little thing that I feel like touches on so much of what we've been talking about. And this is in this book. It's called Likutel Achot. And this rabbi from late 1700s that I learn every day, he's incredible, Rabbi Nachman uh, from Breslov. And this is actually based on the rabbi who learned under him, who ended up like writing a lot of his teaching and then showing it to him. And he's like, okay, cool. Yeah, like this is, you know, Likud, and it's called Likute Maran. This other book, he told him, you have to write your own Torah. And he basically took what's called the Shulchan Haruf, which is the code of Jewish law, which is like the different things that we need to do if we're talking about keeping kosher we're talking about in the morning the ritual of like washing the hands coming back into a spiritual state sleep is like 160th death i feel like nas talks about that the cousin of uh sleep but so the idea of like coming back into this spiritual space and when you're reading these like you know it's dr it, it can be dry like reading laws but when you're reading it from this perspective of this rabbi it's like incredible so just his take on the first law is i'll just read it in hebrew and translate so wake up like a lion, to, to stand up in the morning in the service of the creator to, to align with the, with the universe and our source. So it should be you that awakens the dawn. So what this is saying is like, 
basically we have to be proactive in waking up like a lion. Like we literally have to be proactive and not at the mercy of how we're feeling or where maybe our evil inclination or all the disconnection or all the constriction that we were talking about or fear or anxiety is going to take us. And it's like, Oh, well, this is one of those days. Like it's not going to be a great day or whatever. He's saying, no, like you have to, you have to awaken the dawn. Like Shachar means darkness in Hebrew. So it's saying you have to bring the light into the darkness every single morning. Like all the Psalms that King David wrote, all of the, all of those wars and all those enemies, that's like the part of yourself that's keeping you from being connected to God, to being connected to every other person, realizing that we're all one. It should all be love. Like that is the war. That is the enemy within ourselves that we need to be fighting at all times. So like the first law is wake up like a lion and bring the light into the darkness. And you are the one that awakens the dawn. Mm, I love that. Yeah, it's so much fire in it. But like once you go, like if you're just reading it, like, you know, just the literal, it's like you can connect to it on whatever level, but you really don't, you need to like jump into the depth and the secrets behind all this stuff. And it's like, so it's amazing. I think my kids are getting restless. I think I need to take them out. They're like, you know, it's like having two dogs and you're like, you got to take them for a walk. Yeah. I have to do that and feed them every like five seconds. I'm like, how many, how can I be washing the dishes every two hours? This doesn't make any sense. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, this was amazing and I appreciate you having me. Yeah. Thank you for doing this. Elevate every day. And yeah, no, this is incredible. I'm sure we'll do it a few more times, but yeah, thanks for coming on the show and Congrats on the book. I can't wait to Thank share this you. with the world and so they can, you know, or my crew gets to know about it, you know? Yeah, we'll definitely work more together. This is great. Yeah, uh, awesome. Proud right. of you. Thank <laughs> you. I'm proud of you too. This is amazing. We're yeah. doing good. We're doing good. <laughs> All right. Have a good weekend. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye.